From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Ian Dworkin, class of 2010, who had just completed a pain fellowship at UCLA and the VA of West Los Angeles and was preparing to enter private practice. I sat down with Dr. Dworkin at his LA area home the day after his graduation. And as I do with all of his interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when he became interested in his occupation. Well, I think it was kind of a gradual transition from my time back in high school with my interest in science and in medicine, found that that was a passion that I had. And through my time at Muhlenberg, I pursued the pre-medical curriculum and biology and just happened to really love it and was really drawn to it. And I had a lot of great mentors there and great professors that helped guide me through that process, which is sometimes a very stressful time in many students' lives and helped me kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And when I made it through my pre-med requirements, I became more engaged in uh, what it meant to be a physician, shadowing different physicians, pursuing some clinical research, and just trying to understand what it would be like to be a practicing physician Mm. um, while I was at Muhlenberg. And that really confirmed for me that my path was the right one for myself and led me to apply for medical school. And I was lucky enough to be accepted to Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, where I did my medical training. You know, the first two years are all very science-based and you don't really get a lot of hands-on experiences and patient interactions. But the times we did get with patients was very rewarding and fulfilling and really reminded you why you put yourself through that Mm -hmm. um, as Mm -hmm. a pre-med student. And then the third and fourth year clerkships and rotations really give you a good idea of what kind of physician you want to be and what kind of area of medicine you want to practice. I was particularly drawn to physical medicine and rehabilitation or PM&R through my third year clerkships. And I was really drawn to the field because it combined a lot of areas of medicine that I was interested in, namely internal medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, neurology, and uh, psychiatry, some aspects of that, as well as orthopedics, their focus on muscular and bone conditions. Mm -hmm. So it was a great combination of those fields that I liked and also had a lot of unique aspects as well with uh, spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury and post-acute stroke care, as well as amputee rehabilitation. So I was really drawn to the content, but I also found a lot of great mentors through that process as well Mm -hmm. and found that my personality really matched with a lot of those in the field. So I was just lucky to find a calling that really matched what I wanted to get out of medicine and fit with my goals of patient care and Mm -hmm. uh, was able to kind of pursue more opportunities through that. I was able to do a little bit of research as a fourth year medical student um, in spinal cord injury in a patient population that I found really rewarding to work with, often a lot of young, healthy individuals that suffered a traumatic injury of some Mm -hmm. kind. And so it was great to work with that group. It was challenging, but very rewarding and see how they progress throughout their rehabilitation process back to gaining functional and meaningful lives again. And as a fourth year medical student, you apply for your residency. So I applied for PM&R and I really wanted to join the great department uh, out here at UCLA, in the mm. West Los Angeles VA, 
because of their commitment to the veterans out here, because it's primarily at the VA, but also because of their focus on musculoskeletal medicine, non-operative orthopedic care, and and care for non-surgical management of spinal conditions, Mm -hmm. and was also exposed a little bit early to some of the fundamental tenets of pain medicine. Mm. So I knew that was kind of the focus of the program, so I was lucky enough to match there for my residency. And I came out here after completing my internship in internal medicine at uh, Pennsylvania Hospital mm. in Philadelphia. So I uh, came out here and really enjoyed my time in PMNR residency and all the great folks that have been there. And again, um, wonderful mentors to kind of help guide my interests along. And sure. I kind of fell into pain medicine because it was something that was a big focus of our program. And realize that it's extremely challenging, but also very rewarding field. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot in the news about pain medicine and opioid crisis going on. So it's great to be able to learn about the dangers and how to kind of work with patients on avoiding those dangers and kind of negotiate the difficulties of, of pain. I also was really drawn to more of the procedural side of things, doing epidurals and some of the other technology that's out now in pain medicine. And it's a very evidence-based field. So getting involved with research was another kind of fun aspect to my residency training program Mm -hmm. and found that I ultimately wanted to go into pain medicine as a fellowship. So I applied my, I guess, third year of residency Mm -hmm. and uh, was accepted into UCLA's and the VA's PM&R-based pain medicine fellowship, which is an an ACGME-accredited pain fellowship that's uh, one year long. Mm. So I was able to stay really at the same institution and continue working with the faculty that really helped mentor me during my time and really had a a wonderful year and I'm grateful to have learned everything that I did. And here you are. Here I am now today. Graduated. (laughs) What would be something that people would be surprised to know about pain that you know that they don't? Great question. <laughs> Surprised to know about pain. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody obviously knows about the physical manifestations of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put your hand on a hot stove, you react to it. That's how the body works. And that's why pain is a good thing in some mm-hmm. ways. It mm-hmm. tells your body that there's danger around. What's interesting is when you start thinking about chronic pain, the pathophysiology of chronic pain is very different than acute pain. There's certain pathways that can't be turned off. There's certain responses that your body learns and repeats and amplifies that is subconscious that many people aren't aware of. Mm. And it really contributes not just to the pain response, but the suffering that comes as a result of pain. So chronic pain is extremely difficult to treat, and it's really hard for people to understand. And that's why pain medicine and uh, having trained pain providers is so important It's not something that you can always throw medications at. It's not usually something you can throw medications at. Mm -hmm. And to really understand how someone's reaction to pain is, you really have to identify what's causing them, not just the pain, but the suffering aspect as well. And there's a huge psychological component to pain and suffering. To best treat that, you really have to look comprehensively at a patient and more holistically at it instead of just their hand hurts. There's something wrong with the hand. Mm. It's not always just that simple. There's a lot else that can go into that. So I think that's what some people may find unusual Mm -hmm. about pain medicine, that it's a little bit more complicated than just putting your hand on a, on a hot Hot stove stove. and reacting to that. Right. Right. 
In my limit, limited scientific knowledge, I have read about people that don't feel physical pain. Mm-hmm. Do you study, and do people like you study those people? Yeah, it's really interesting that a couple case reports were just recently published about that, and it's really great um, how they've been able to identify certain genes that can be linked to a pain response, and that's really cool. I, I personally haven't been involved with the genomics behind that mm-hmm. and some of the biochemistry behind that. My research has been a little bit more clinical in, in terms of case reports and abstracts and patient interactions, but those things, the, that kind of way of plotting out the genome and seeing how people are going to respond is a growing part of the field. There are companies out there that you take a swab of saliva and they send it to their lab and they can tell you what kind of medications will and won't work based on their genotypes. Wow. So that is great and really exciting aspect of pain medicine and medicine in general. Mm-hmm. Of course, you always have to be careful whenever you're talking about people's genes. And, uh, you know, there's some concerns about that and some mm-hmm. privacy mm-hmm. issues that mm-hmm. come with that. Sure. But uh, it is really interesting to know that these that people are able to track certain reactions like pain just to a couple genes in, in DNA. It's a really mm-hmm. exciting time. And I think that will definitely continue. So let's talk more about your research. How much can you talk about it? And then what were some of the things that were most gratifying for you to be into? As part of my, some of my research that I've been involved with during residency was a study that was trying to evaluate the optimal dosage of medication to use during certain procedures. The one we chose to do was a carpal tunnel steroid injection in the wrist. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime you're doing steroid injections in people, it's really important to keep in mind what dosages you're using because all medication, of course, have their side effects, as does the procedure. So you want to make sure you're limiting people as much as possible to harmful effects of medications. But also you want to give them relief. That's why you're doing the procedure in the first place. So What our group looked at were reactions to two different dosages of steroids. And then we tracked both the ultrasound measured changes to their median nerves in their wrists, as well as the wrist-to-forearm ratio, which is another measurement of carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm -hmm. And we also asked the patients how they did before and after to get their perspective. So in a sense, we were tracking both objective and subjective responses to different steroid doses. And that was a really interesting study, not just because it's an injection that a lot of people do, Mm -hmm. but it's something that's just not standardized. And to be able to contribute a little bit to the medical community and the medical understanding of what doses might work best, what minimal dose might work best, was a really interesting process. Mm. And going through the recruiting process is always interesting as well. And trying to get uh, IRB passage of Mm -hmm. studies is always really fun. So it, it was a great learning experience, and it was also fun because it was part of the clinical practice that we, uh, that people in my field do. So it was great to do something that was so prevalent in our field. So you mentioned opioids. Obviously, a lot going on there, a lot of attention mm-hmm. nationally. How is that attention and whatever comes after that going to affect your work in the future? I mean, I know it's going to affect it in probably more than one way. <laughs> but can you talk about some of the, the ways? Yeah, um, we see it. We've seen it through our, our training with everything coming out about all the deaths that have occurred and how many people are overdosing on opioids and people that have had really bad side effects and complications from opioid management. 
I think it's important that we understand the history of how it came to this epidemic. And when millions of people are, are dying from these medications, it's really important for us to not just understand what medications they're dying from, but what led them to this type of treatment. It really has changed the way we practice pain medicine in that we're really trying to focus on a more comprehensive evaluation of the patient. Instead of throwing medications at someone that says they have shoulder pain, well, why do they have shoulder pain? What were they doing that caused it? What particular muscles? Is it injured? Is it torn? Is it tendinopathy? Is this something that is acute? Is it chronic? What have they tried in the past? What kind of medications are they currently on? Thinking a little bit more of comprehensively about their pain instead of just their pain itself. Pain is very subjective. All of our reactions to the same injury may be totally different. So really dialing into how the person in front of you is feeling and what's contributing to the, those feelings and, and that those symptoms and trying to diagnose it best. And by doing that, there's a lot of ways you can treat their pain in a more appropriate manner than trying to use opioids. And that may include injections, that may include physical therapy, that may include other modalities, heat, ice, electrical stimulation, mm. other things that you can try without having to go that route. There's also other medications you can try to use as adjuvant medications to really give people the function and the lives that they want to live. That's really the ultimate goal. Mm. At the same time, there are some cases where opioids are indicated, especially with acute pain mm. after surgery or after a major trauma. Sure. There has been a lot of good evidence that those do help people in those situations, uh, as well as with cancer pain as well, which can be extremely debilitating mm. and really reduce people's quality of life. So there are times when opioids are indicated, but I think making sure that those indications are identified before those medications are prescribed. And I think also being very open with the patient about why these medications are so dangerous. Mm. I think sometimes people have preconceived ideas that, yeah, these people are passing away from these medications, but it wouldn't happen to me. I've been on right. this medication <laughs> before. It wouldn't happen to me, unfortunately. Yeah happens to a it lot can, of people. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think just doing your due diligence and spending a lot of time with patients and educating them to the risks of, of everything in medicine, but especially with opioids is really important. And it's important to keep all these different things in mind when you're doing the evaluation. Sure, sure. So you're just now finishing up your fellowship. What is the timeline for you now? What happens next? And how does it happen? That is a great question. I wish I had an, an answer for well, that. Uh, however, <laughs> however much you know. Part of being in an uh, ACGME accredited fellowship, I um, am able to sit for uh, the pain boards. So I'll be taking those this fall. In California, if you are doing interventional procedures, you also have to have a fluoroscopy permit. So I have to take a, another set of boards to use the x-ray machine for x-ray guidance for procedures, mm. especially that we do very commonly in the spine. Mm -hmm. So I'll be studying a little bit for those. Mm -hmm. I think after... Uh, residency and after fellowship, a lot of people take time off. So I'm hoping to take some time off and spend it with my wife and with my family and kind of decompress a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's <laughs> kind of my most immediate goal right. is to kind of enjoy not being sure. working full time. Sure. But my plan is to pass the boards, take some time off and then start full throttle, um, hopefully after boards are done in, in the fall. Mm. And so that'll be um, in a private practice, and, and that'll be a very big change for me coming from an academic background, as many people are who are fellowship trained. So 
not entirely sure what that uh, schedule will look like. It'll uh-huh. probably be a little chaotic at first, but I think as we ramp up and I'm able to see more patients, I just hope that it's fulfilling and I hope I can change people's lives and do so in a way that will allow me to continue living the life that I want to live and, sure. and be there for my family as well and work towards a fulfilling career. Cool. For Muhlenberg students or otherwise who want to end up where you are now at some point in their timeline, what advice would you give them? You've kind of found your niche here in medicine, right? If someone is interested in, in going that route, the, the pain route, what advice would you give them? As a pre-med student, it was the most important thing that I would recommend is just keeping your eyes on the prize and staying organized. And, um, you know, it is a big commitment and a lot of people decide it's not for them and that's okay. And, but if you think it is for you, keep at it. Don't be discouraged. There's a lot of paths to get to where you want to be in medicine and, you know, by staying organized and uh, staying committed, I think everyone can get there. I think also it's really important to have really good mentors wherever you are. Luckily, Muhlenberg was a very supportive place and I'm sure it continues to be supportive mm-hmm. with some great faculty mentors that um, will help get you to where you want to be and give you the advice and the constructive feedback to help you along the way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to reach out to those people and find those people and identify them and keep them close to you. Um, I think along those lines, having a really good support system is really important throughout the pre-med process, throughout medical school, throughout training. It's really important to have a good social support, not just family and friends, but colleagues that you can mm. you know, decompress with after an exam or study with to help uh, keep the anxiety low and do fun, fun things with, with your free time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really important to have a good network that you can rely on and uh, can help support you during the tough times that are there for everybody mm-hmm. in their path through medicine. Mm-hmm. And then I think also personal wellness is really crucial to getting to where you want to be and making sure you take care of yourself first and foremost, spending time outside, trying to get exercise, trying to eat right, trying to sleep. All these kinds of things I think are really important to stay balanced because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times when you're stressed and you're focusing on an exam or you're worried about something, you kind of get tunnel vision a little bit and you lose a little bit of perspective. And so I think practicing just you know, daily wellness for yourself can, can go a long way to helping everybody achieve their goals. Mm. Thank you for that. So you, you've now been a part of the medical profession in some fashion for a few years now. How do you see the profession changing up till now and how do you see it further changing as you are starting kind of on your professional leg. One thing that's really exciting about pain medicine is how dynamic a field it is. It's a very evidence-based driven field. So there's a lot of technology out that I think will change the way we treat pain. In addition to just the typical, more common epidural procedures, interventional spine procedures, there's a lot more neuromodulation going on where people are putting electrical contact leads in people's epidural spaces that can modulate the pain signals in their body. Wow. Um, not just in the spine, but also right next to an injured nerve in their arm or in their leg, in their shoulder. A lot of exciting technology coming out to do mm-hmm. that. So uh, that's a really interesting and really kind of shocking technology that's mm-hmm. coming out that's been pretty helpful for a lot of people so far, and even though it's relatively young mm-hmm. uh, part of the field. There's also a lot being done right now. The 
big buzzword is regenerative medicine. That's a big part of both physical medicine and rehab and pain medicine, utilizing stem cells mm. and uh, PRP and exosomes, other things that people are extracting from their own blood and injecting them into joints, into cartilage, into discs of people's spines and getting some results. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the evidence right now is still very early. There's not a lot of overwhelmingly great evidence for it, but a lot of people are still getting good results and relief from it. And it's representing another kind of step in the care of pain. And all of these, I think, are kind of gearing up towards using less medications and doing more active treatments for people because people want to be functional and they want to live the lives that make them happy. And a lot of this new technology coming out has a great opportunity to, to do that. Mm. So it sounds like you cannot really be a technophobe if uh, you're in, in pain medicine. Pain medicine, you can go into it through several different paths. You mm -hmm. can go through anesthesia and through physical medicine and rehab. Those are probably the two more common paths, but uh, neurology is a field that can also contribute to a pain medicine fellowship as well as family medicine, emergency medicine, and psychiatry as well. Mm -hmm. So what's great is that uh, to properly treat pain, you really need an interdisciplinary approach. So you sure. can't just be taking needles and poking people <laughs> in the body with them. You have to really understand how they're thinking and you have to make sure that the rest of their health is being cared for as well. So people from all these other fields can really help contribute to that and care for people in those ways too. Mm -hmm. So there are physicians that are a little less on the interventional side and then there's some that are much more on the interventional mm -hmm. side. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's a nice range and a good spectrum. And I think what's really important in care of anybody is to be able to utilize all these different resources and different physicians out there. Sure. What do you think your biggest challenges are going to be going forward professionally? I think my biggest challenge going forward will probably be adjusting to life in private practice. Mm. For me, learning about that side of things will definitely be a big challenge. Mm. I don't have much of a business background, so this will kind of be on the fly. Right. But in my practice, I'll be joining more established physicians who've been where I have been in the past. Mm. And I'm hoping to really learn a lot from them, not just from the medical side of things, but also the business side of things sure. as well. So the learning portion of your career is, is not at all over. There's uh, constantly having to go to conferences mm -hmm. and, and read up on the medical literature. Sure. And there's continuing medical education mm -hmm. that you have to meet certain criteria through it each year. There's recertification for boards. Mm -hmm. So you're always learning. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by me, Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded on location and engineered by Paul Kremposky at the studios of WMUH, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.